The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. Do Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China? On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The U.S. tightens the squeeze on Vladimir Putin, moving to revoke normal trade relations with Russia as Washington Democrats huddle at their annual strategy retreat in Philadelphia. Say goodbye to your Russian vodka and caviar this weekend, and welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We're joined today by Congressman Dwight Evans, Democrat from Pennsylvania. He's been at the party conference and will bring us up to date on things. And later, the war in Ukraine's impact on business and how companies are getting people in and out of country. A conversation with Morgan Williams, president and CEO of the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano is along with Chapin Fay, Republican strategist, founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs. As President Biden takes another swing at Russia, now calling on Congress to use its authority to revoke normal trade relations with Moscow. The president spoke from the Roosevelt Room at the White House today. Here he is. Each of our nations is going to take steps to deny most favored nation status to Russia. A most favored nation status designation means two countries have agreed to trade with each other under the best possible terms. Putin is an aggressor. He is the aggressor. And Putin must pay the price. He cannot pursue a war that threatens the very foundations, which he's doing, the very foundations of international peace and stability, and then ask for financial help from the international community. And having already banned Russian oil and gas, that was just days ago. The president went for, well, the only other imports that you may actually end up missing. Here he is again. We're also taking a further step of banning imports of goods from several signature sectors of the Russian economy, including seafoods, vodka and diamonds. Seafood, vodka and diamonds. No more caviar. What would Robin Leach have said? Now, there's bipartisan support in Congress uh, by the way uh, of revoking preferential trade status. They'll figure out how to get this into language. Speaker Nancy Pelosi says she expects to have legislation on the floor next week. I will tell you a Republican source in the House tells me it will pass with strong support both sides of the aisle. Now, let's bring in Congressman Dwight Evans, Democrat from Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia, where the Democratic Party is holding its annual strategy retreat Congressman, thank you for joining us. I know it's been a couple of days of conversation. How much has the war in Ukraine occupied the talk at your retreat in Philadelphia? Uh, it's definitely been a part of it. It's been a centerpiece because we're on the side of the people of Ukraine. And it's important to understand 
that they need our help and we need to stand with the people. It's very clear with what Putin is doing is wrong. And the president has articulated that and has expressed exactly what damage is doing. So if you're on the side of democracy, you're on the side of Ukraine, and that's very clear. And we need to show and to stand for the necessary support for the people of Ukraine. Will you vote to revoke Russia's preferred trade status, as the president asked today, if it comes to the floor next week, Congressman? Yes, as I have supported other uh, efforts uh, to send a message to Putin and his behavior and his henchmen. It is not acceptable in this democracy in this world. And the fact that I like the fact that the president is leading on this issue in terms of organizing other countries, and showing that it's important to be on the side of the people of Ukraine. So I, I joined with the president in his message that he gave today. It was a message and a sense of hope and optimism and that we must stick together. This is a bipartisan effort. If, you know, those who said that they don't see bipartisanship, well, this also is Republicans standing very clear with us. Bringing everyone together, uh, Congressman, brought yes. Europe together yes. as well. We know there could be additional sanctions. Speaking of bipartisanship, uh, legislative uh, sanctions after the framework was announced a few days ago, Democrats and Republicans from the tax writing committees. Uh, do you want to see sanctions already announced before you even add more? Do you want to see sanctions announced made permanent, like the banning of Russian gas and oil? Well, look. This is very serious. And the fact of the matter is, uh, for what is happening to the people of Ukraine, women and children, and the damage that is occurring. And it's very clear that through the president's leadership, of us working together is very important. So we must support the president in his leadership. We must draw that line and not accept this behavior and I believe he's leading us in the right direction, and I support the direction. I, I read you. In. I read you on that, Congressman. But should there be? Should Congress be adding its voice to that? Is it time to codify sanctions through legislation? Well, you know, it's codified for us to work together. Okay, and that's us working uh, with the with the Speaker of the House and the President, and and not to try to preempt a strategy which I believe has been laid out, and I okay. believe ultimately will win out. Well, let me ask you as well. Congress passed an omnibus budget this week, which is why we're not talking about running out of money tonight, so we'll call that a win. Uh, But it was passed without any of the COVID funding that the administration requested. It was $22 billion. It's a lot of money. Uh, The White House says our testing capacity will begin declining now, this month. I know the main point of disagreement, Congressman, was the clawback of COVID funding from some states. How does this end? Does, Does that part need to change to get this passed? Well, I mean, we worked it out. In the case of Pennsylvania, that was not an issue for our particular state. Yeah. So I share with you that we, it will be revisited, uh, and I believe we'll find a way to work it out. So in Pennsylvania, that was not one of our challenges, but yet we still joined the effort of based on the president. If you understand how significant it was for us to, to finally pass a budget that will go up until the end of September, and the budget makes the necessary investments uh, that are important as we move ahead. We can think about $1.5 trillion was done in terms of the investment. And the important the investments that are needed 
for the American people. And that's a, and also the money there for Ukraine. That's also important. I think yep. we need to understand we've got to work together on this. Speaker Pelosi uh, spoke at your retreat today about the Democratic agenda for the rest of the year, Congressman, spoke about portions uh, of the Build Back Better legislation, like paid leave, like the child tax credit. She she listed a number of them. As a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, do you trust the leadership in the party to make that happen this year? Yes. I'm very clear about this leadership. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has been clear. She's shown it from the beginning. And I believe that she just needs our support. And I will be a sit on the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, I understand she understands the importance of it. And she is providing the kind of leadership that we really need. So more than anything, we need to show leadership between Nancy Pelosi and President Biden and Vice President Harris. Well, I know that, you know, look, this was a problem last year. I know a lot of progressives, congressmen felt burned. If you couldn't pass these last year, how do you pass them this year in a midterm election season? Well, you know, you just work harder. You just work harder. Nothing is ever easy. Uh, we have a very difficult situation we're in. Uh, the fact of the matter, when you think about the pandemic and the challenges there, but we understand that we must figure out a way to address these issues. You think about the American Rescue Act. Yeah. That wouldn't have passed if it was not because of the Democrats that stood with the president and the importance of Look at the bipartisan infrastructure package. No one thought that could be done. And this all came done. down to math, though, of course, and it's been pretty difficult math with some of these Build Back Better provisions. How are you? How are you managing this in in the in the conversations as you strategize in Philadelphia for the year ahead? So you're not talking about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema straight through Election Day. No, I think like like anything, you know. Look, everything needs to figure out. We figure, there's a way. And, and, and you, you know, you're going to have people have different opinions, but you got to keep your eye on the ball. And eye on the ball is how we best support the kinds of family policies that the president is talking about, putting money in people's pockets, mm. helping those. Uh, look at the policy challenges we've had. So, you know, you know, your question, by the basis of your question, this is not going to be just a quick and easy answer. It's going to be when almost everyone, works together. And that's very important to remember. You know, when the president talked to my rescue act, you know, all the Democrats, all the Democrats were together. Even Manchin was there. So I will let you know it's clear there are things we need done. (laughs) Did you talk to him? Is he going to vote for some of this legislation or is this going to continue to be an obstacle? Well, I wouldn't say that. I would just say to you, you know, the senator, he has his views. And at the end of the day, (laughs) Yeah, I think there will be some way we'll find ways to get it done. Congressman Dwight Evans, Congressman from Pennsylvania's 3rd Congressional District. Our regards to Philadelphia, sir. Thanks for being with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And it's the fastest hour in politics, which is why I want to pull in Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor, uh, with a couple of minutes uh, here. Uh, Jeannie, your thoughts on this as Democrats gather in Philadelphia. Nothing's changed in the math. Is this just kind of a blue sky going into the the new year here with some of these items, like I mentioned, paid leave, for instance, that couldn't get through the Build Back Better agenda last year? Is this a real conversation or is this kind of a pep rally that's going on? 
I, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I think Democrats are feeling pretty good that they made it to Philly with having passed the omnibus bill yeah, a few right. months into the year. They've also gotten through the Post Office Act. You know, they have gotten the violence against women. I mean, there's been a few bright spots there in Congress. But I think what we're hearing out of, interestingly, out of Philly is for the rest of that agenda that you were talking to Representative Evans about. Mm-hmm. They are looking at the president and looking to the president and saying, please use your executive authority to pass these things because they know full well if they don't maintain the House and the Senate in the fall, they're not going to have these things passed at least for two years. All right. This is great. We're going to pick up right there as we assemble the panel next with Jeannie Shanzano and Chapin Fay, Republican strategist, founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs. We'll bring you in the room in that retreat in Philadelphia, let you hear what Speaker Pelosi was saying coming up next. But of course, we want to check traffic and the markets on the way. It's Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal, Democrats seek wins to woo voters after Build Back Better flop. Our friend Emily Wilkins shares the byline House Democrats seeking avenues. She writes to ram through their priorities as part of a final push before the midterm elections. Yes, the year of sweet release. That was me who said that. But importantly here, Democrats, they write, hope President Biden and Jeannie mentioned this a minute ago can use executive action to accomplish some of what they cannot pass. So that's how this ends. Congressman Clyburn was talking about it up at that retreat, reminding members of how many times through history executive orders have been used. Certainly was a preferred mechanism of the former president. But let's back up. Let's bring you into the room, actually, in Philadelphia a little bit earlier today, with Speaker Nancy Pelosi talking about this very agenda that would be, I guess, part legislative, part executive order, and a lot of it sounds awfully familiar. Here she is. And we want to continue that work on certain aspects of BBB, or child tax credit, uh, universal pre-K, the the list goes on, affordable child care. Our champion in the Congress, Catherine Clark, uh, nobody has done more than she has in the Congress on that subject. Uh, home health care, saving our planet, the list goes on. Saving the planet, a little thing called saving the planet. Uh, By the time President Biden got there and spoke to the room, this was a few hours later, the conversation shifted to communicating what had already been done, what had already been passed. And he was talking about fiscal responsibility and the bad rap that he sees the party getting. Here's President Biden at the retreat. Last year, because of what you all did, we reduced the deficit by $360 billion. We, the Democrats, while the economy grew, we're on track right now. I'm on track to be the first president in history to lower the deficit by over $1 trillion in one year. So I'm sick of this stuff. 
We have to talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. I don't think we need any lectures from our friends on the other side about fiscal responsibility, for God's sake. He got some laughter there. No major standing ovation as we assemble the panel. With the aforementioned Jeannie Shanzano, Democratic analyst, Bloomberg politics contributor, joined today by Chapin Fay, Republican strategist, founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs. Chapin, back with us on the fastest hour in politics. It's great to have you both here. Jeannie, to your point, how much of this can be done through executive order? Uh, You know, a bit of it can. You know, what's stunning to me is when Barack Obama famously in 2014 said, you know, I've got my pen and I've got my phone and I can make this work and go it alone because Congress isn't operating. He was six years into his administration, two years into his second term. They are talking about this, and and Joe Biden is only one year into his term. And I think that just speaks volumes about where Democrats think they are. And, you know, to the president's point today, just briefly— I think the Democrats have to be careful. They have done a lot of good. They have gotten a lot passed. They've spent a lot of money. They need to also talk about the positive things they have done, not only moan about what hasn't gotten through. Hmm. There have been positives. Let's start with the bipartisan infrastructure, and you can go right down the list. So they've got to also take a page from what the president is talking about here. Chapin, is this happy talk, or can any of this actually happen legislatively or through executive order? There were so many attempts to get it done last year. We saw them all fail in real time and talked about it on this program for months. Things have only become more difficult this year in a midterm election cycle. So how could it happen? Well, I mean, uh, like you said, uh, work harder, I guess. Um, (laughs) You know, um, Democrats control uh, both houses of the legislature and the presidency. So um, to be talking about doing things by executive order, um, I find a little odd. Um, it's their own party. They have to get on board. Um, even, you know, their own members in the Senate are not excited about some of the things that they want to do. Um, and, you know, um, during election years, uh, things tend to get a little strange, even stranger, curiouser and curiouser. Um, yeah. But I think that shows, you know, the, the, the will of the voters is going to is going to happen in, in November. And if the Democrats are afraid of doing some of these things or putting things on the back burner because they're not yeah. popular with voters, I mean, I think that speaks even louder. Um, well, Chapin, Bill Hogan said on the program uh, yesterday that Democrats would never waste a reconciliation bill. Uh, it doesn't that and he's got to be right about that. Doesn't this suggest then that they don't think that to your point, they can even get that passed? Uh, with on a party line vote, they'll they they will need executive orders to get these through. Well, that's right, and um, you know I I I, I think um, you know it's 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 both parties uh, to blame here because you know Republicans sense victory here now, right? Um, it's it's shaping up to be a Republican wave year uh, in certainly the House, maybe even the Senate. Um, so the Democrats are going to find it harder and harder to find bipartisanship because Republicans just, you know, real politics think they can get more votes and think that they can win seats. So it's going to be just much more difficult for Democrats to get things done that aren't broad popularity. If this becomes legislation, Jeannie, does it look a heck of a lot like Joe Manchin's memo from last June? 
it'll look exactly the way Joe Manchin wants it to. If it goes through Congress, mm -hmm. Joe M is going to be all over that. And not <laughs> our Joe M. You're our Joe M. This is the other Senator uh, uh, Joe Manchin. It's going to look exactly like he wants it, um, you know, because he has been willing to stand up to Democrats uh, on, and say, this is, you know, what I will and will not accept. You know, yeah. other senators on the Democratic side could do the same thing. Maybe Kristen Cinema to a certain extent will. But yeah. that's absolutely what we're going to see if it passes. Jeannie and Chapin are with us, our panel for the day here on Sound On. We'll turn to Ukraine next. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We know what the war in Ukraine has meant for the Russian economy, but we don't talk a lot about what's happening to business in Ukraine, unless it involves the huge spike in wheat prices or other commodities we hear a lot about. Coming up, we're going to learn more about it from Morgan Williams, president and CEO of the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council. We see headlines every day on major companies dropping their business, cutting ties, divesting from Russia, Coca-Cola to Goldman Sachs. A lot of companies, though, still are winding down business or still have clients or customers to protect in Ukraine. And getting their people in or out has become a major undertaking. Join us to, joining us to talk more about that and the impact overall that the war is having on Ukrainian business and the economy, we welcome Morgan Williams, the president and CEO of the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council. Morgan, I have a lot of questions for you. I want to start with, with the most immediate, and that is, of course, the security situation. How many business leaders are working to get people in or out of the country right now? And to what end are they going to get it done? Well, there's a huge number of international businesses that have been in Ukraine for 20, 25 years, including the United States. The United States probably has a couple hundred huge businesses, lots of them in the Fortune 500. They uh, mostly employ people in Ukraine. And so they're Number one uh, goal is to protect their employees. Some have several thousand. Yeah. Uh, some of their uh, top people uh, have left Ukraine or went to Western Ukraine. But the safety of the employees and some of their key assets, big priority for them. They've been working on it. Well, I'll tell you, this has become, from what I understand, uh, it's, it's its own cottage industry here. Security firms moving people around the world are incredibly busy at the moment. Uh, in Ukraine. Is it still possible to get in and out? Well, it's, uh, uh, yeah, there was still some planes going in and uh, in and out, but uh, it's very difficult and people have to get out to uh, Western Ukraine in order to, uh, to get out. And most of them that uh, wanted out have, have already, already left. Yeah. So it's getting worse every day. Boy, uh, the window's closing here, uh, Obviously, Morgan, give us a sense of what this means uh, for the Ukrainian economy. We hear about commodity prices spiking, wheat and other commodities that are uh, at the heart of Ukraine's economy. Will there be anything left? How long will it take to rebuild from this? Well, we've got, uh, you know, President Putin uh, undertaking a horrible, unthinkable, heartbreaking uh, invasion uh, with no justified reason. 
He's basically a dictator out of control, and they're just uh, uh, destroying the infrastructure. They're attacking businesses. They're attacking people and residents. So uh, Ukraine has a huge industry of agriculture, Mm -hmm. uh, tourism, and uh, manufacturing. And it seems like he's going after uh, the destruction of the whole country. How did business in Ukraine prepare for this? Was, was were things shut down before it began, or are they still trying to operate? Well, there was most of them were still trying to operate because, as, as I said, most ninety nine percent of all the people there that worked for the U.S. companies are Ukrainian, and you know they're producing food, they're they're doing manufacturing, they're trying to keep the grocery stores open, yeah. keep the drug stores open, so uh, they all been doing everything possible to uh, to keep business going to support the, the heroic people of Ukraine. What does the government here in the U.S. need to do that's not being done already? We heard about relief money approved this week by Congress. The president's been largely focused on cracking down on the Russian economy. Uh, but is this just a humanitarian story at this point, Morgan, or does more need to be done? Well, there's more that the United States could do, and there's a lot more they could have done in advance of this. There's uh, our military has a lot of uh, cybersecurity capacity that they could be using. We need to uh, provide airplanes to Ukraine. We've got to ship in more anti-tank missiles. Uh, this Putin guy doesn't really care about the sanctions. He doesn't care about the people <laughs> of Russia. He wants to destroy Ukraine. He wants to take Ukraine. And so the only way to stop him right now uh, is... Uh, through military action, and the U- Ukraine the military needs a lot some more support from the EU and uh, and from the United States. So there's a lot more the United States could do. Morgan, I appreciate your insights today and spending some time with us. Morgan Williams, President CEO of the U.S.-Ukraine Business Council, as we reassemble the panel with uh, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, and Chapin Fay is with us, Republican strategist, a founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs. What do you make of that conversation, Jeannie? Uh, You know, it sounds to me uh, like, obviously, an economy that's going to be in shambles for many years, but also uh, a situation in which the the United States could find itself in a position of providing billions more dollars in aid. We've barely scratched the surface with the $14 billion passed this week. That's right. That That is now looking like a drop in the bucket. And it was fascinating to hear what you and Morgan were talking about, because to your point, we seldom hear about those businesses over there. And when you asked him about, you know, the issue of preparation in terms of going into this, I think one of the astonishing things for me has been, you know, how they were trying to prepare if they were to handle the onslaught that the United States and much of NATO was saying was sure. about to happen. And in, in some cases, it looks like, you know, there was much more work to be done on that area. Chapin, there were calls uh, by the U.S. State Department to get out of Ukraine starting pretty early. They began with diplomats, families and so forth. Did we wait too late to make the, the full call for evacuation with Afghanistan uh, in our memories? A lot of people were calling for a more concerted airlift at an earlier time. You know, I think, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So, yes, I think we were we were behind uh, on that. Um, but I think, you know, when you're dealing with uh, a madman like uh, Vladimir Putin, I mean, it's very difficult 
uh, to be able to help Ukraine uh, without actually setting off World War III. So we are sort of, you know, as much as I want to bash President Biden for everything he does, he's sort of boxed into a corner here uh, on how much we can do uh, on our own. I mean, I think NATO needs to maybe step up a little bit. Maybe yeah. maybe America can help out via NATO. Um, but, you know, Putin has made it very clear that, you know, a- any small step that we might take, uh, he's going to take as an act of war. Um, I will, you know, I, I will say I think I think the timing is uh, is no coincidence. I think yeah. they waited for, you know, uh, you know, a president who, who maybe wasn't as, um, you know, uh, blusterous uh, when it comes to this sort of thing um, to, to, to be our leader. But, um, you know, we're sort of in this situation now where we have to get we have to help yeah. uh, the people of Ukraine. I mean, we have to. But, you know, how do you do it without starting World War Three? Stay where you are, Chapin and Jeannie. We'll keep the panel with us next on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, so much for the talks. Another attempt at negotiations between Ukraine and Russia, if only for appearances, failed to make progress, which may not come as a surprise to you, even after Vladimir Putin said he was hearing good things. And we know this because Bloomberg spoke today exclusively with Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba. He tells Washington correspondent Anne-Marie Hordern that nothing has changed. Here he is. Uh, yesterday, I met with Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, in Antalya. This meeting was facilitated by the Turkish foreign minister. We spent an hour and a half, and uh, there was zero progress in talks. So it's hard for me to understand what kind of progress President Putin is referring to. That's after 90 minutes with Sergei Lavrov. 90 minutes with Sergei. Sounds like a TV movie. As we reassemble the panel, Jeannie Shanzano. And Chapin Faye is with us, Republican strategist. Chapin, what do you make of of the whole disinformation campaign, the way the administration has been handling it, as soon as intelligence is gathered, it is released. It's been seen as a deterrent. But is it working? Well, it's hard to tell if it's working because there's information, there's disinformation. And in this day of, you know, 24-7 social media and, you know, communications uh, around the clock, I mean, it has always been hard to sift through uh, what's what is what is true and what is not. I mean, we saw that uh, during the pandemic where you had to, you know, uh, search for a while to find out what was really going on. Um, But I do think it's uh, a very good strategy to, you know, put out. Uh, the you know the intelligence as soon as they get it. I mean, I, I think it. I think it. It is likely to succeed. I can't say for sure if it's succeeding currently. Yeah, Jeannie, uh, we've talked about this, uh, and it's interesting to see it on both sides. Putin today suggesting that there's progress suddenly in talks. Is that part of some kind of a setup here, acting uh, optimistic only to be let down by whatever false flag operation he's about to let go? 
It seems to be. And, and what was fascinating is that the markets, people seem to take that, um, to take Putin's word as, you know, potentially a positive sign yeah. until Anne Marie's absolutely amazing interview in which we heard that there was no progress whatsoever. In fact, right. quite the opposite. And that people started to react to that as well. And, you know, I think it again speaks to the fact that with Vladimir Putin, you really cannot listen to what he says. Here's a man who said right up until they entered Ukraine, they weren't going to enter Ukraine. And then he entered. And so now to say that, you know, they're making progress on talks, I think we have to be very circumspect about feeling some kind of positive, you know, uh, reaction to that, because, of course, it's probably not the case. And that's what it's turned out to be. What are we going to be looking for this weekend, Jeannie? We've gone into a couple of weekends now wondering if, for instance, this is going to be the fall of Kiev. Uh, the Ukrainians have done an incredible job holding off Russian forces, but this is likely not going to go on uh, forever. We've seen the direct shelling of civilian areas and some pretty tough stuff here. If Vladimir Putin is breaking up this column, as we understand, north of Kiev, are, are you preparing for, should the White House be preparing people for uh, for a real assault on, on these downtown areas? It, it should. And, and you know, it, the White House, I think, has been trying to do that. They have to do that. Um, and I think you have to prepare people for what's likely going to be a lot of carnage over this weekend in the pictures and the videos, which have been absolutely astounding. You know, the the White House spent some time talking to TikTokers over the last few days. Yeah. This is where most people that I teach, most young people across the world, including in Russia, are getting their news. That's why the White House is investing time there. And you can turn on TikTok or any of these other apps. I don't think you turn it on. That's how old I am. But you can go into it. And <laughs> you, we can all see these devastating pictures live. And right. so the White House does have to prepare for the real reality that this could be the fall of Kiev in the next few days. Hopefully the Ukrainians can hold on. Well, if we're going to be covering this for you throughout the weekend. So stay with Bloomberg News. Keep your eyes on the terminal. Of course, this is a story that... We've got several angles on from around the world, including here in Washington, D.C. As we speak with the panel on a Friday edition of Sound On, Jeannie Shanzano is here along with Chapin Fay in a big event to be looking forward to next week. That's the Federal Reserve meeting. Uh, Chapin, it brings inflation back to the fore. We understand that there's going to be an interest rate cut. We already heard this from Jay Powell repeatedly as he tried to telegraph a quarter point cut. But in terms of uh, the, the consciousness here in Washington, just seeing that headline is going to bring inflation back into the conversation. We saw the CPI uh, hit uh, another difficult uh, level this week, even though it was within expectations. Still, just seeing the print sometimes uh, feels different than, than when you talk about it coming. What's that going to do to the political conversation next week as the Federal Reserve brings its first interest rate hike since COVID? Well, I think it's just going to continue it and elevate it. I mean, it's what Republicans are going to be talking about. It's what people are talking about on the ground. I mean, it's not just a political issue. It's an issue for everyday Americans as they go fill their gas tanks up uh, with gas or go try and buy uh, meat and fish that, you know, those costs are spiraling out of control. I mean, it's a real problem. And whether, you know, the president or the government uh, has any real impact on being able to address inflation quickly or long term uh, is irrelevant. Uh, almost to the political conversation, uh, because if, if inflation in the economy continues the way it's going, I mean, the, the red wave is going to be, uh, you know, a bloodbath in November. So I think um, all of the all of Washington, D.C. right now uh, should be trying to uh, fix this, not only because it's an actual problem, but also because it's 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 one you know, it's a very big political problem. Yeah. Uh, people are going to throw 
out the party in, you know, the the incumbents and the people in office. And that's going to affect Democrats very badly. Gina, the White House has started calling this the Putin price hike, uh, more <laughs> specifically to energy. But we're hearing this kind of Putin, you know, the war in Ukraine is is, in fact, a reason why commodity prices are going up. You cannot argue with that. But they were going way up before the war started, of course. Is that a smart line for the the, the administration to take? Politically, it is smart, and we're going to hear much more of this. It's Putin's war. It's Putin's inflation. It's Putin's gas prices. Everything is going to be blamed on Putin, and the Republicans are going to have to work hard to counter that message, and I'm sure they're going to do that because, as Chapin was just talking about, in normal circumstances, this kind of inflation would devastate the party in charge, and the the angle the White House and the Democrats seem to be taking in the last few days or moving to is the idea that we are not at fault. We're going to triangulate this thing, and it's Putin's problem. And we should look at, you know, and we should look at, you know, the the numbers as you look at the polls just after the State of the Union. Biden's numbers have been ticking up. So Democrats feel a mild, very mild optimism. We're a long way off from the midterm, but they're feeling like this could be a message that works. Chapin, is the Putin price hike a better slogan for Dems this year than build back better? Uh, I think it is. And, you know, it's an undeniable fact that it's certainly having an effect, uh, how big an effect I'm sure we'll litigate over the next uh, couple of months. But um, it's certainly it's certainly a factor. Um, And again, you know, uh, eight months uh, in politics is a lifetime. Uh, So if inflation and the economy uh, and, you know, the war in Europe uh, start to come under control, uh, then the fortunes for Democrats may change. Uh, Something else, of course, uh, comes into the conversation. We start talking about the Federal Reserve, Jeannie, and that's all these empty seats. Uh, We still haven't had a vote on the the president's nominees, including uh, the chair, the renomination of Jay Powell. I don't really understand the strategy here unless this is just, you know, letting letting the clock run out until Sarah Bloom Raskin withdraws her nomination. I've suggested this to a few people on the program before. Is that the actual aim here for Republicans to as opposed to just voting no? This this has been astonishing from start to finish to me. As we've talked about, the nominations took forever. They finally get their their hearings. And then we have this holdup by the Republicans. Um, You know, at this point, given where we are with inflation in this country and the need for serious action by serious people in Washington, particularly the Fed, it seems to me that. You know, if Sarah Bloom Raskin is holding this up, the White House should consider separating her from the other four. Wow. Let them go through. There's Let no Jay turning Powell... back after that. There's no turning back after that. I think she is a great nominee, but one person should not be holding up all five of these people getting through for the sake of the country and, and the inflation that we're facing right now. Chapin, wouldn't it behoove Republicans to show up for work and vote no? Well, it would always behoove them to show, uh, to show up for work. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's, uh, well, instead like of said, boycotting the hearing to no end, I mean, the, we, you know, we I don't use know a what the direction. strategy is. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think that, um, you know, that, that something needs to, something needs to move. And I think the Republicans, <laughs> um, but, but the Republicans are going to get, you know, tarred with, um, you know, you can't hold things up forever right. uh, and just hope and pray, uh, you know, that elections go well for you for the next nine months. Like I said, you know, that's a long time. Understood. And, you know, if if the Biden administration and, uh, you know, Putin's price increase uh, works, uh, Republican, you know, might come back on Republicans. So they need to be they need to be looking like they're doing they have a positive solution. Uh, to yep. the inflation and economic issues and, you know, boycotting hearings. I, I personally don't don't right. think Chapin looks Faye. like a positive solution. 
Jeannie Shanzano, I appreciate the insights from both of you. Our panel on this Friday on Sound On. You wonder why people don't want to go long into the weekend. March is Women's History Month. We get our daily installment right now from Renita Young. On this day in women's history in 2006, Michelle Bachelet is sworn in as Chile's first female president. She's a lifelong socialist, former political exile, and ex-prisoner of the military dictatorship. Her rise highlighted a cultural shift in a mostly Roman Catholic country that was long regarded as among the most conservative in Latin America. It was also a nation where at the time divorce was only recently legalized and abortion was still illegal at the time. Women were also often earning as much as 40 percent less than men with similar jobs. By contrast, Bachelet was an agnostic and a single mother of three. She was also the first popularly elected South American female president whose political career was established independently of a husband. She served two separate terms as president of Chile. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Thanks, Renita. Meet you back here Monday, the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.